welcome back to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. Friday, April 12th, was a deadline day for the Illinois General Assembly, the last day for the House and Senate to pass most bills, other than tax and spending bills, out of their respective chambers. As a result, lawmakers worked overtime throughout the week, plotting their way through mountains of bills as they raced to meet that deadline. But maybe the biggest event of the week was Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker, along with his legislative allies, unveiling their proposed constitutional amendment that would allow the state to impose a multi-tiered or graduated income tax structure to replace the state's current flat tax system. Today is an important next step to give voters a choice about whether the wealthy will pay more and 97% of families will pay the same or less. The proposal went immediately to a Senate committee where Democratic Senator Don Harmon of Oak Park was its main sponsor. So we are asking to put the question to the voters, should we amend the Illinois Constitution to allow Illinois to join the vast majority of other states and the federal government in enacting a fair income tax where lower rates apply to lower income levels and higher rates apply to higher income levels. This is something uh, many of us have been working on for the better part of a decade and it is uh, long overdue. It is not a radical departure and is, in fact, the common uh, tax practice in most every other jurisdiction. And I believe that it will uh, give us some nimbleness in our tax policy to allow us to close our structural budget deficit and uh, begin to tackle the problems that Illinois faces. But the proposal still faces significant opposition from some quarters. Conservative pro-business groups like the Illinois Policy Institute and an independent political action committee known as Ideas Illinois have been airing television ads across the state arguing against the amendment. And in the Senate committee, Illinois Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Todd Meisch argued the case against the proposal. We know that other states have a graduated income tax. They also don't have the second highest income uh, property taxes in the nation. They also don't have a business climate that makes them really wonder if the state is stable enough to go ahead and create a business and thrive here in the state of Illinois. So you've got to go ahead and compare the totality of Illinois' reality with these other states, not just simply go ahead and compare the graduated income tax and where it is there or not. Uh, I will tell you that the flat tax is a positive for business growth, business stability. Businesses like it. Uh, but identifying every economic advantage you have and then eliminating it is a really, really bad approach to economic development. Meanwhile, on the floors of the House and Senate, Lawmakers worked overtime passing dozens upon dozens of bills, many of them routine matters that sailed through the chambers without opposition, but many of which stirred significant debate. And for those who were in the building or listening online trying to pay attention and follow each piece of legislation, what they heard was a lot of this. Have all voted who wish, have all voted who wish. House Bill 2263, a bill for education, third reading this House Bill. Mr. Speaker, I request a roll call vote on this resolution. Your request is noted. Will the sponsor yield? Indicate she'll yield. Does the sponsor yield? She indicates she yields. Um, thank you, Speaker. Thank you, Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Have all voted who wish. Here now to talk about the week that was at the State House are two more reporters from the Capitol News Illinois team, Jerry Nowicki and Rebecca Anzel. 
Uh, Jerry, we just heard about the constitutional amendment and about the flurry of activity that happened this last week as they came up to their uh, deadline. You've been following the proposed constitutional amendment. Where does this thing stand now politically? Do they have the votes to get this through both the Senate and the House? I think they certainly have the votes in the Senate. The House is the question. Um, they have 74 uh, representatives uh, that are Democrats. The Republicans stand unanimously opposed to it, they keep saying. So uh, what they need is 71 votes so they can lose three. And what we've seen is groups like Ideas Illinois, which is a conservative business tied, uh, they call it a dark money group because their uh, donors are private. They're targeting, I think, four or five uh, Democratic senators running ads in their district and saying, you know, Jerry Costello uh, should oppose this bill. And they're, they're encouraging people to call um, and oppose that. So they're working on uh, knocking those um, Democrats off, these business groups are. But uh, as the governor says, um, let's let the people decide on this one. And we've also seen TV ads. I think uh, Illinois Policy Institute has one out uh, that depicts basically a moderate income woman with driving kind of a clunky car that breaks down and says, oh, well, we can, you know, you're rich, and so your taxes are going to go up. Uh, kind of targeting the classic uh, demographic that, you know, the Democrats want, uh, saying that, your taxes will either stay the same or go down under their plan. Uh, they seem to be trying to chip away at that same demographic. First of all, is that accurate uh, that, you know, someone who has, you know, a moderate income and drives a clunky car would see their taxes go up? Yeah, uh, under Pritzker's proposed rates, it is not true. But the Policy Institute's argument is that um, if they were to fund every Democratic campaign promise, they would uh, have to raise taxes on the middle class by $3,500, and that's just not in the proposal. Okay. Is it effective, though, in going after the very types of voters that the supporters of the amendment are going to need? Uh, it could prove effective. I'm sure you'll convince some of those people. I know those ads are running in cities like Champaign, Decatur, Springfield, downstate communities, so it could prove effective. Who knows? And then in terms of the House votes, I think it was Representative Rob Martwick who told me that there may be people who are expected to vote for it are just not jumping on board and signing their name onto it now, holding back until they see the final details. Um, does that, and you can, you can kind of see that on a major policy initiative. You want to see, you know, what the trailer legislation is going to look like that actually implements the tax rates. Um, right. Is it likely that they'll get to the 71 when push comes to shove and it's time to vote on this thing? I would guess so. Um, we'll see. Uh, in uh, During spring break, I was thinking of calling um, some of those uh, legislators that I said that are being targeted in those ads and seeing you know where they stand on the issue at this point. Because in the 2018 elections, we should note, produced some Democratic victories in what had been traditionally Republican areas, especially the ring counties around Chicago. Right. Are those the kinds of people who are being targeted, Democrats in relatively red districts? Yeah, uh, for the most part. And those will be the big question marks on whether or not this goes to the voters.
Okay, and Rebecca, let's turn to you. You've been writing about this pretty much all session. A relatively new organization in the General Assembly this year called the Progressive Caucus. It's a group of lawmakers who support generally liberal or left-leaning legislation. Uh, They just got started this year. They've got handful, what, 16 members or so. Um, how How have they been doing so far this year? Well, they announced their formation about a month ago and then sort of disappeared. Um, They just had a press conference this week to announce 10 pieces of legislation that they um, are endorsing, one piece of legislation that they are opposed to. Um, Most of those bills, though, had already passed the House or seemed as though they would pass anyway with or without their endorsement. So they're claiming credit for helping get liberal and progressive legislation through. How much of the credit for that, though, actually goes to Governor Pritzker? I think you could say that he supports liberal policies anyway. Talking specifically about the minimum wage, for example, uh, which lawmakers had tried to get through a number of times before, uh, but not until they got Governor Pritzker uh, in office uh, did the thing actually go through and went through very quickly. It's one of the bills I think that the Liberal Caucus is saying they helped out on, but was it them or was it the governor, really? Well, the governor definitely helped. Um, Representative Will Gazzardi was a main push for that piece of legislation. He's also a member of the Progressive Caucus. So um, I think it's both, although definitely having a governor they knew would sign the legislation was a big plus for them. Yeah, because it's hard to vote for a bill, a controversial bill, when the governor's going to veto it anyway and you're just kind of left standing there if you're going to take a risky vote you at least want to get something in return for it like the policy that you voted for Um, so what other kinds of legislation have they been active in and helping support well so uh this week they announced that they were endorsing everything from um a bill that would regulate the pharmacy benefit manager industry and those are pharmacy benefit managers they're kind of the middlemen between insurance companies and pharmacies. They negotiate uh, drug prices and determine which drugs uh, certain health plans are going to pay for and how much. And uh, They've been taking a lot of criticism, not just in Illinois, but in a lot of other states. Uh, There's legislation uh, trying to bring them under regulation. So, but like on that subject, so, so there are those, there's one that would allow DACA recipients and um, legal permanent residents to be eligible for Medicaid benefits, one that would require baby changing stations in all, um, in restrooms of all genders, including gender neutral bathrooms. Um, I was speaking with a professor, uh, Carrie Militia, I think is how you say her name, um, Melita. Uh, She was saying that a lot of this caucus's big buzzword and policy changes seem to align more with DNC policies than ones you would see come out of Illinois. Um, the, the Democratic National Committee. Right. And so she was saying that, that these changes are ones that you wouldn't typically see come out of um, the Democratic Party as led by Speaker Madigan. And so she, she thought that was an interesting thing to note. Um, in the press conference, one of the reporters had, had asked um, the, their three co-chairs of the, of the caucus, and um, he asked one of them, Representative Carol Ammons, um, you know, you hear all these, all these buzzwords associated with the word progressive nationally as well like so democratic socialism and socialism in general um and how do do they respond sort of these these labels being attached to them and she said that this caucus stands for health care for all education for all um and this sort of 
general equal access to uh, resources. And so if people want to attach those labels to this caucus, they're fine with that because they stand for these sort of ideals. Okay, and you brought up Speaker Mike Madigan, which is kind of interesting. He has been a power center here in Illinois for decades. But when you look at the Democratic National Conventions, the presidential nominating conventions, he's not somebody you see on the dais. Is it fair to say that he's kind of his own Democratic Party organization and not really part of the National Party organization? Yeah, he, he definitely is not a national figure, um, although I, I don't know, maybe you could make an argument that former Governor Bruce Rauner may have... Um, Thrust him into the limelight yes. for a little while, yeah. The, the professor that I referenced before had said that um, she thought that this progressive caucus didn't really form, because there are 16 members, as you mentioned before, mm -hmm. and the, the Democratic majority in the House is far greater than that. So they didn't form this caucus for a voting majority of any kind. Um, she thinks that they formed to gain some sort of public traction. So to take the policies that they believe should become law, thrust them into public debate, try to gain media attention, and then if that gained any sort of um, traction with voters, to perhaps draw the party's platform to the left. And she thinks that's what they're really going after. Okay, and so for both of you, we saw a lot of activity uh, during this past week. Friday was the deadline for each house to get its own bills out and sent over to the other chamber, except for appropriations bills, tax bills, and some other things. Uh, but these were substantive policy bills for the most part. Uh, but we also saw something that seemed a little bit unusual. Chicago's mayor-elect uh, Lori Lightfoot speaking on the floors of both the House and the Senate. Um, you guys have been around Illinois for a little while. Is it unusual to see the Chicago mayor talking directly to the legislature like that? Um, I know Rahm Emanuel has been here before. Uh, I'm not sure um, about that. And what kind of a message was she bringing here? I mean, uh, it, it, statewide unity is, is what she was trying to say. She even uh, kind of touted Pritzker's graduated tax, and um, she named uh, like Benton and Cairo uh, and just Decatur. She's just saying, you know, as Chicago goes, um, they can bring benefits to downstate. Yeah, uh, kind of the message that Illinois and Chicago rise and fall together, uh, clearly addressing an attitude or cultural differences, I guess you, you could say, between uh, Chicago area and the Chicago politics and then downstate politics. Uh, there seems to be, there has always been some sort of tension or resentment downstate that Chicago exerts too much influence, that it has, controls most of the power because the Speaker of the House is from Chicago, the President of the Senate is from Chicago, governors tend to be from Chicago. Um, and she seemed to be kind of trying to bridge that. Um, do, does it look like Mayor-elect Lightfoot, does she have the political capital to actually start bridging that? Uh, that remains to be seen, but it was interesting to see, I think, uh, Rep. Halbrook and the so-called Eastern Bloc of four pretty conservative uh, representatives. They posed with her uh, for a photo on the floor. Um, but again, I think one of them told maybe it was the Tribune that uh, he doesn't know that it's really going to change anything in, in the whole dynamic. 
And of course, there's that resolution that was introduced. It's obviously not going anywhere, urging Congress to declare Chicago the 51st state. Uh, basically, just saw it off and let it go fend for itself. Uh, which, but it kind of exemplifies the attitude that many downstate Illinoisans have towards Chicago. Rebecca, um, what do you think about that? What, uh, is this ever going to be resolved? Is this a, an argument that anybody can ever win? The cultural difference between Chicago and the communities in downstate Illinois are just so different. And I think it's important to remember, too, that Chicago is arguably the economic powerhouse of the state. Um, and maybe to some degree, the lawmakers who are from Chicago keep that in mind as well. They're, they're cognizant of that. Okay. Um, and then turning to the other stuff that happened this week, I don't know if any of us was able to keep track of how many bills they debated from Tuesday through Friday. Uh, looked like 99% of them passed. A lot of them passed virtually unanimously. Uh, there were non-controversial bills. Uh, what were some of the more interesting, uh, more controversial bills, the ones where you actually saw uh, divided votes between Democrats and Republicans? I think one of the interesting ones, I think, was it was you covered it, and you'd have a better idea of it, but um, financial aid was it? Uh, the financial aid for uh, undocumented immigrants, as well as for transgender individuals who don't qualify for federal aid because they haven't registered for the draft. Um, that one seemed to break out almost along party lines. Uh, there was another one today that actually, there was another one on Friday that actually got defeated um, that would have um, prohibited colleges and universities from, it, it was a ban the box bill uh, from asking about criminal background history uh, for college admissions. Um, that one actually failed, but it looks like it may be coming back at some point in the second half. Uh, in some other form. Rebecca, what were some of the ones you covered? There was one that people were talking about a lot earlier in this session that would um, add parking fees to the Starved Rock National Park um, up north a bit from Springfield. Um, one of the big areas of contention for Republicans was that it would exempt the residents of LaSalle County from having to pay that parking fee. The Democratic sponsor of that bill had argued they live there. Um, they're the ones that have to deal with the traffic for people who go to visit the park. Um, they pay to maintain those roadways and such. They shouldn't have to pay it. And also, the parking fee would act as sort of um, a trial run for other national parks in the state. Um, it would be, you know, a good bill for everybody. Uh, it ultimately failed to reach the constitutional uh, threshold. Um, and then she asked for it to come back up again. Uh, and then when it did, it failed again. So th that was an interesting vote to watch. Another one was uh, the bill that would require presidents and vice presidents uh, to release their tax returns to get on the ballot. Clearly um, aimed at President Trump. Right. And Dale Ryder, uh, <laughs> Senator Ryder, called it an embarrassing waste of time. He's from Mattoon. Uh, but, and then Tony Munoz, who's the sponsor, Senator Munoz, he said, um, well, whether you think it's embarrassing or not, it's going out in 25 states. Um, uh, none of them have passed it, though. And there's, there's real questions about whether it's even constitutional. Okay, and then looking ahead at the second half, uh, when lawmakers return, they're taking a two-week break right now. When they return in a couple of weeks, 
obviously the constitutional amendment on the graduated income tax uh, will be a major item. Uh, what else is out there? Well, something that I think listeners probably are aware of is that I've been covering all of the abortion bills. Um, I think it's worth noting that the one bill that had made it to the floor of the chamber, or any of the chambers, was Senator Sims's bill that would repeal the Parental Notice of Abortion Act, thereby you know, allowing minors to get an abortion without consulting with their parents. Um, he left that bill on second reading, which basically means that it didn't come up for a vote. Um, everybody will tell you that rules, especially when it comes to Democrats, because they control the, the state government, um, rules don't there exactly are ways, apply there to are the ways Democrats. These there things. are definitely yeah. ways around these things. Um, but that didn't come up for a vote. He didn't call it, and he didn't advance it. So interesting. Um, it could come back up. We don't know. It could come up next year, too. The General Assembly carries over. It's a two-year thing. Um, but that didn't come up, so I don't know. We'll have to see. Okay. And, of course, the capital plan that everybody has been talking about, the big infrastructure bill, uh, apparently still seems to be going on behind closed doors. We're not right. seeing a, a lot of committee action. Although a Senate committee has had kind of a road tour uh, going around the state asking various communities what they want and how would they like to pay for it. Uh, but so far we haven't seen actual legislation about that. Jerry? Uh, no, there's a couple of bills to uh, raise the gas tax and just restructure the gas tax and licensing fees. Um, and those are all bills that would, you know, have to be passed to pay for it. Um, but in terms of a capital bill, uh, everyone's told the committees what they've needed. Um, I don't know how that bill is going to get packaged because the needs seem to far outweigh the income. Okay. Well, that should, oh, Rebecca. There's also the cannabis bill that everybody's been talking about, too. There's no language associated with it yet. The Progressive Caucus is a huge supporter of it. Representative Cassidy is part of that Progressive Caucus. She's the representative um, from in the House that's mm -hmm. the main push. Representative Ammon, she wasn't in the press conference this week, but Representative Ammon had said on her behalf that um, the to expect the language by the May 31st, which is the sort of end of session assuming they pass a budget um, and that it will be a sprint till then but they are looking to have language. Yeah, our, our Senator Stain said I think she wanted to have it filed by the end of April. Um, by the end of April and uh, you know I've heard from a few people that some of the marijuana legalization groups that have been on it for a long time are upset with the way this is these negotiations are going and that the growers kind of want to edge out new growers and it's kind of a contentious topic there are people who are already licensed to grow marijuana for medicinal uses and there are also retail outlets that are allowed to sell it to people who qualify for medical reasons and so you're saying they would basically like to hold on to their share of the market and not let a whole lot of new entrants coming right. in, right and some people think that'll drive up costs and and we haven't yet seen the big uh, gambling expansion bill. Uh, people, no, there's uh, several options for that. Grant Morgan's been covering that. He's not with us right now. Uh, but they've got to really choose which one uh, they believe is going to be the best long-term solution out of several options. The governor has talked about uh, raising fees or raising taxes on video gaming. Of course, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court now is allowing states to legalize sports gambling big question over you know whether that would be done by the casinos or be done by the lottery um, we just haven't seen a whole lot of movement on that so far 
No, and it, it just seems like once we get back uh, in the beginning of May, it's going to be a mad scramble on all those things. One thing that may be worth noting is a lot of these bills that we have seen just sort of be pushed through both chambers. Um, the sponsors had said that they were aware that there were issues with the bills, but they asked their colleagues to vote for them anyway to fix these issues in the up opposite chamber. So I think what you're going to see is a lot of these bills be amended in the opposite chamber and then be pushed back to the original chamber. Um, so the, the bills that were passed this week are going to be amended, and we'll see what happens. Which is interesting. You've seen people vote in favor of bills that they know are flawed, but then you expect the other chamber to fix the problems mainly because you have to meet these deadlines. Uh, produ legislative production has to continue. <laughs> so, Yeah, it's, it was a scramble this week. Finally this week, we thought we'd take a look at another phenomenon that's been happening for years in state houses throughout the country, including the Illinois State House in Springfield. Earlier this month, USA Today, the Center for Public Integrity, and the Arizona Republic published a major investigative piece that carried the headline, You elected them to write laws, they're letting corporations do it instead. The story is about what some people call model legislation and what others call copycat bills. They're written by industry groups and other special interests, and they're often introduced in multiple state legislatures at the same time. After a two-year investigation, the reporters identified as many as 10,000 examples of copycat bills being introduced in all 50 state legislatures over a nine-year period. Rob O'Dell is an award-winning investigative reporter for the Arizona Republic and one of the team of reporters who took part in the project. We spoke with him by phone. So can you talk about, first of all, how did you identify them? I understand you had to have special computer algorithms that could identify uh, similar language. Was that it? Yeah, so basically what we did was um, we took about a million bills from all 50 states in Congress from 2010 through 2018 and um, uh, brought them into our system. Um, and then we created a database of more than 2,000 known model bills, which we found by searching over the Internet, talking with lobbyists, you know, um, looking at, at news clips. And what we what we did was we compared those two against each other. So we we looked for um, where the where the bills had strings of copy text from the models, and how and it it took it took a lot of processing power to do that. Um, you know, at, at one point we were using about 150 uh, virtual machines, 150 computers. Um, to and in some cases they process for months to compare that amount of text about against that amount of text. Um, we 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 shortened the process by using keywords. So we only we we only searched bills where they hit uh, where they had similar keywords. And then what what we measured was the the extent to which the text was copied from the model uh, in the bill. And we wrote uh, an algorithm that did that, that scored it based on how long the strings were that were copied um, and how many strings of five and ten uh, word strings were copied. And so the results were, I think you found more than 10,000 cases of essentially copycat bills that were introduced in multiple legislatures. 
and specifically bills that aren't written by legislators. They're actually written by special interest groups on the outside. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, they're, they're written by either by model bill factories like the American Legislative Exchange Council, um, which is a conservative uh, model bill factory. Um, they can be written by all all sorts of different uh, industry groups, um, you know, like the ATV Association or the Association of Physical Therapists. Um, all, all these type of groups write model legislation. Not all of it is bad. I mean, we found tons of models that had that were good um you know where you helped overseas veterans to vote or you put in registration requirements for sexual offenders when they weren't there before okay and i've Um, i've spoken to some legislators here in illinois who say you know it shouldn't be surprising that one state will try out a law and the other states will sit back and see how it works and then a year or two later maybe come back and try some try a similar thing um that doesn't seem to be exactly what you were looking at here. These are actually bills written by outside entities that are trying to push a particular agenda. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I mean, I, I think I think where it comes down to is 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 what's behind the bill and the lack of disclosure. So, um, you know, if you if you are trying out a bill that works in another state, I don't think anyone has a problem with that. But if you are using a bill, if you are using a bill that, for example, puts roadblocks in the way for people who are harmed by asbestos, um, and some of them die before they can sue the companies that harm them, um, and that bill is written by the American Legislative Exchange Council, and and in the states that in a lot of the states that heard this bill. They brought in a subject matter expert who was who was not disclosed was worked for the uh, the that group Alec which wrote the model bill so it, so it's sort of it, it's not just it's the subject but also it's the lack of disclosure and I think what people really hit on is you know you send your you send your lawmakers to the Capitol to represent you and if they're using some of this model legislation in ways that that you, that you wouldn't want them to do, and they're not disclosing that. I think that's the issue that people have. And I think what a lot of people may not also know is that in between legislative sessions, lawmakers will often go off to these conventions. ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, sponsors annual conventions. And they're basically, as you say, industry groups that come in and say, this is the bill we'd like to see enacted in as many states as we can get it through. Uh, and those meetings, those conventions are not necessarily transparent or open to the press or to the public. Um, they're just sort of private meetings between industries and lobby groups, uh, lobby groups and uh, lawmakers, essentially. Uh, so there's been a lot of concern. Alec has been written about nationally. What are some of the other organizations that are doing this? Are there like labor unions? Are there uh, other sorts of groups out there? Well, um, one of the big groups uh, on the liberal side is um, the State Innovation Exchange, which uh, which is sort of the um, follow group from Alice, which was the like liberal counter to Alec. Um, a- another group is the Council of State Governments. That that was actually the biggest. Uh, we found the most models that were introduced and passed from that group, even more than Alec. Alec was in the number two position. Um, another another one is the Institute for Justice. Um, 
Another one is uh, the National Council of State Legislatures. Um, and, you know, the list goes on and on. There's there's sure. numerous more. Um, no. Uh, and, and some of them are also sing- single subject. There's ones on abortion, too, where, you know, that's the, that's the, the group's, uh, um, you know, main focus. Now, you mentioned the Council of State Governments and the National Conference of State Legislatures should probably point out these are not necessarily agenda-driven organizations. They're more like best practices kinds of organizations. Is that right? Um, yeah, I think for the most part. I mean, uh, but but in, for for some of those groups, if you have um, if you have people within the group who are pushing like something that uh, has more special interests, you can get that effect. It's on a smaller scale, of course. Okay. Um, but but you can you can have that interest. You can have that that uh, that that effect. Just it's, it's smaller. And you also drilled down to the individual state level to see which states were enacting more or fewer of these bills than the others. Uh, how did the state of Illinois come out on that? Um, well, Illinois was a, came out as one of the top states for model legislation. <clears throat> um, it, would, it had the third most models introduced, so 550, um, and it had the most models passed and that's with a, 131. That- and that's over an eight-year period, eight or nine-year period. Yeah, yeah, that's that's over a, a, a essentially a nine-year period from 2010 to 2018. Okay, and um, so, were, were they conservative bills? Were they liberal bills? Were they neutral? Uh, interest, interestingly enough, um, Illinois is really the only state we see that uh, is in the top ten in both conservative bills and liberal bills. Um, so there, there's a lot fewer liberal bills, but as a, but Illinois still scored high in the number of liberal bills that that it um, that it introduced. Um, so I, I mean, I, I sort of uh, the reason I see for it is you have a big um, Democratic majority, right? Right. Um, and so that's where the that's where the liberal side of it comes. But then you have a a a. a, a Republicans in safe districts and a lot of rural districts, um, who are gonna, who are, who are the typically the type of legislators who can, who will go to Alec or take Alec bills as well, um, or or other other conservative groups and sort of that that's from my perspective from Arizona looking at Illinois that's sort of why I think you see that. Okay, uh, can you cite any specific examples of bills in either category? Oh yeah, um, you know, for example, uh, I'm looking at here uh, on the liberal side, um, the sugary beverage tax, uh, a tax on essentially a tax on sugary beverages. That's a model. That's a liberal model bill um, that was introduced. Um, seven or eight times uh, over the course of over the course of the past uh, nine years. Um, there's also uh, um, you guys. You guys have also looked at a, a, a bill for education uh, savings accounts, which are essentially a new type of voucher that take money from public school districts and allow pe- people to use that money to go to private school. That was introduced twice. Um, there, uh, there was a bill to um, limit expert testimony in cases. So. One of the, this is one of the things that um, critics will will say is you know this helps corporations because it 
allows um, it al- it essentially allows uh, corporations to determine in advance like the that you can't bring expert witnesses in these certain type of cases um, and uh, and and it 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 really runs the gamut partial birth abortion um, uh, occupational licensing etc okay very good well listen thank you so much for your help and thank you for being here thank you thank you for having me and that's it for the Capital Cast this week. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. I'm Peter Hancock.